Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our top 12 dynasty running back rankings in this video. If you guys missed the quarterbacks yesterday, what we're going to be doing is talking about our top 12 running back rankings. But within our top 12, we're going to break down which of those top 12 running backs are foundational running backs. We have nine of those comprised within our top 12 and three guys that are contending running backs that make up the uh, 12 overall dynasty running backs that we're going to talk about in today's video. So if that was confusing, you'll see after the intro what we kind of mean. But at any point in this video, if you guys enjoy, get some value out of it, hit the like button. Comment any of your thoughts down below as well and subscribe to the channel if you are new. If you want access to our complete array of Dynasty Rankings, our Dynasty Rankings manifesto has all these guys labeled by position, has them all uh, bucketed by age bucket and everything in between rookie rankings, you know, top 200s for one quarterback and super flex, all available one of two ways, either by signing up on Patreon or depositing and signing up on Underdog Fantasy promo code FSE for a 100% matchback and our Dynasty Rankings manifesto. So that was a lot of shit that I was talking about. Danny, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. As, I, as we kind of said on the quarterback video, breaking these down by bucket, because at the end of the day here in Dynasty, if you try to compare, you know, apples to apples, if you're trying to compare, you know, a 26-year-old Christian McCaffrey to a 21-year-old Brees Hall, you're not going to get anywhere because realistically, again, as you guys will see in this video, as you'll see in these respective buckets, a lot of these guys have different appeals. A lot of these guys have different alerts. Obviously, for the majority, if you're drafting a prime win-now running back, you're expecting them to have the max point potential, redraft point potential that you can possibly imagine. Whereas, again, when you're comparing with the foundational, you're looking for a little bit of both. You're looking for the production, but you're also looking for that potential to accrue value this season. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to break them down within that tier, within that bucket, kind of how they stack up amongst each other. And uh, you know, it's a fun exercise. It's going to give you guys a lot more context, context, a lot more out of it than, you know, your bog standard top 12 running backs where you guys will be like, why do you have Najee Harris over Christian McCaffrey? Why do you have Brees Hall over Saquon Barkley? This video today will help you kind of internalize that a lot better. Yeah, for sure. So after the intro, we're going to talk about quickly how to uh, handle this position in Dynasty. But before we get started, got to hit the intro. All right, so quick points on how to handle this position in Dynasty. As Danny kind of alluded to, you have to know what your strategy is for how to handle running backs. Because if you are building, let's say you started your draft, Trey Lance, CeeDee Lamb, and you know some young wide receiver, uh, Jalen Waddle Higgins, in the third yeah. round. Drafting Joe Mixon doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you in the fourth round based on what you did previous in your draft. So 
quick points on how to handle this position in Dynasty. One, know what your strategy is. Know how your team is set up from the first couple picks that you made. Number two is don't overvalue this position because it is generally an overvalued position. You want to evaluate it similarly among other position groups. So if you see that, you know, running back A is a little bit too risky for yourself, then go look at wide receiver, go look at, you know, quarterback, tight end, whatever position. And then also you want to ideally align your winning window with the prime of your running backs. And for running backs, the prime of their career happens sooner than quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end. The running backs are in their primes, typically on their rookie contracts, second, third, and fourth seasons, maybe their fifth seasons if they're lucky, and some guys are even really productive as rookies like Najee Harris was last year. Comparatively to other positions, wide receiver, quarterback, tight end, typically it's their, you know, sometimes when they're really great, they're productive their first and second seasons, but typically uh, years three through eight of their career is their prime. And the way that this plays out, would be like a monster caliber team. If you were rebuilding for two years up until this year, your roster probably looks something like elite wide receivers, elite quarterbacks, elite tight end, Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris as your running back who are both young and in their prime. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because of that, because we inherently know that the running back position has a lower shelf life and has a lower uh, valuation point. We typically want these to be the last insertion when we're ready to contend. Again, as Corey said, you want to build out your quarterbacks, your wide receivers, and your tight ends, knowing that they are going to maintain market value for a longer portion of time. Once you're ready to compete, once you want those you know, league-winning type of caliber running backs who, as we know, an elite caliber running back maybe has you know four to five years of elite shelf life, whereas a wide receiver like Jamar Chase is probably going to last you 10 to 15 years. So knowing that going in and being able to add these guys to your finalized product when you're ready to compete, when you're able to align those peaks is typically when you want to add these guys. So my main thing, as you guys know, is Danny hates running backs. As you guys, if you've been watching the channel, have known. I hate opportunity costs for a lot of these guys. So typically I'm going to draft a lot of these guys early in startups. No, but if they fall to a certain valuation point where I think, you know, I'm okay where the market is aligned with them. I'm more than fine to take those at that type of cost point. Yeah. And I mean, we can make a whole separate video on this, but part yeah. of our foundational running backs too, is the projected rookie running backs that we're expecting in the next couple draft classes. Because I mean, when you're talking about um, building out your running back core last for us, that means if you build a productive struggle this year, we're looking to fill out our running back cores with Bijan Robinson, with Jameer Gibbs, with Travion Henderson, with, you know, uh, Braylon Allen and guys that are going to come out in the coming years. So that is typically what we're talking about when it comes to aligning your prime team uh, for your dynasty roster when you're competing with rookie running backs and, and, you know, second year running backs and stuff, because typically you get those guys cheaper in the rookie draft than you would if you hit on those picks and have to trade for them afterwards. Exactly. I mean, realistically, let's look at next year. Would you rather spend a top 15 overall pick on a running back in a startup this year or go into a productive struggle for one year, get the one-on-one and get Bijan Robson, who's going to be a top 10 startup pick next year? at a much lower opportunity cost comparatively for a 2023 draft pick this year versus a first round startup pick this year. Right. And instead of that first round Jonathan Taylor startup pick that you have, you also have Jamar Chase on your roster. You also have Justin yep. Jefferson or Kyle Pitts or somebody else, Trey Lance or somebody like that on your roster, depending on uh, the opportunity cost from that running back to whatever other asset is on the board. So um, that's a lot of, you know, macro stuff. Let's get into yeah. some, you know, micro player analysis. We are going to start, like I said, at the beginning of the video with our foundational running back rankings in our top 12, there are nine running backs that are under the age of 25, which is what we consider a foundational running back. And the first guy is pretty obvious. It's Jonathan Taylor running back one currently on keep trade cuts, sixth overall player in Superflex startups right now, running back one first overall player on underdog drafts right now. So he's Jonathan Taylor. Not a lot needs to be said about his ability. 
led the league in carries, 92 red zone touches last year, was by far the most in the league, 1,800 rushing yards, 20 total touchdowns, also led the league in breakaway runs, also led the league in avoided tackles per attempt with 44.4%, top three in yards created per touch. An important thing to remember, though, with Jonathan Taylor, like I said, is even as elite as Jonathan Taylor is, that two to five year uh, prime that a running back has year two, which is what he was in last year, year three is what will be in this year, year four and year five is typically what we should feel comfortable projecting a running back for. It's usually about the the safe projection. Sometimes when you're an elite Hall of Fame caliber running back, you can play longer into your career, but we still favor those elite quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Uh, the top five guys that we talked about in yesterday's video, Mahomes, Allen, uh, Herbert, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson. Those guys we would we would take in a startup over Jonathan Taylor straight up. And I know both of us would also take, you know, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Kyle Pitts. And personally, I would take Joe Burrow over Jonathan Taylor as well. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. And again, like if you're watching, thinking, well, how are you? How do you guys have this guy at RB one, but you're not willing to take him in the first round? The common theme always at FSC is opportunity cost. If I have to take Jonathan Taylor at the sixth overall pick in my startup drafts, I'm gonna have zero percent Jonathan Taylor. I am not taking over a Lamar Jackson. I am not taking over a Kyler Murray. Not taking over those receivers or possibly even Kyle Pitts, as you kind of said. So if I'm not willing to take him over those type of other foundational asset, assets, given that current projected shelf life, as you mentioned, Jonathan Taylor, realistically, he could have, you know, three to five prominent years of production. But by the time that production's done, his value is Le'Veon Bell at the end of his career. His value is Todd Hurley before he broke down. His value is current Ezekiel Elliott. That is the difference between a running back. Yeah, could they still have productive years? For sure, but their market value goes from a first-round asset to potentially falling into those mid-rounds, typical of what you're seeing from Ezekiel Elliott now. So when I make an investment at the top of my draft, when I'm picking a first, second-round caliber player, I want to make sure that their appreciation and their overall value accrual still can exist. And for the majority of these running backs, that just simply doesn't exist. Again, the outline for JT, he's a fantastic player. He's going to be a fantastic player in redraft, at least for the next few years. But he's just not an asset I want to be holding the bag on right now before his ultimate downfall. Right. And if you're ready to compete, like I said, the rest of your roster is elite wide receivers, for quarterbacks, sure. tight ends, and you have your your running back core as Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, and maybe another young running back, then by all means, enjoy the yep. production for the next two to three years because it is going to be very, very strong. And you're probably going to win a championship or, or two if that's the situation that you find yourself in. So let's get into our consensus running back two, foundational running back two uh, under the age of 25. DeAndre Swift running back from the Detroit Lions currently going off the board. RB4 on keep trade cut, 16th overall pick. So an early second rounder in Dynasty Startups right now. RB8, 17th overall pick on underdog right now, which we both have him much higher than that in our, our redraft rankings, which should come out pretty soon. And he's uh, he's one of the odd running backs that I'm actually perfectly fine with his market value. 16th overall, I think, is an appropriate pick. And if I had the choice whether to go with Jonathan Taylor in the mid-first round or DeAndre Swift in the mid-second round, give me DeAndre Swift in the mid-second round all day, especially when you're not passing on you know, cornerstone assets like your Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson types. But it's pretty simple to me when it comes with DeAndre Swift. From a pure redraft perspective, we saw last year, he was a near 20 PPR point per game score and nearly seven targets per game up until his injury against the Chicago Bears on Thanksgiving. Those would have landed him at about the RB5 in points per game prior to that injury. He has shown that elite ceiling, as I kind of mentioned, and he has the opportunity due to his receiving workload to be heralded with those Alvin Kamara types, those Austin Eckler types, those elite 
90, 100 plus target type of receiving backs. DeAndre Swift has all the talent and opportunity to be able to be that staple for a while. Again, 6.7 targets per game, which is what he was at prior to that injury, would have landed him at 114 targets on the season, which was 20 more than the running back target leader, Najee Harris. While it's tough to you know expect any running back to crack 100 targets every single year, this offense should be much better. Andre Swift should be in a much better offense and a much better situation this year, which should mitigate, you know, a potential loss of targets due to the acquisition of Jamison Williams due to the full-on role of Amon Earth St. Brown for the majority of the season. Overall, I mean, if we're talking about a running back with this amount of reception upside at 23 years old, with that amount of youth, that amount of ceiling, that amount of talent going with him, Mid, late second round, you get DeAndre Swift. I am more than fine taking a running back at that type of opportunity cost, especially when he has this elite level ceiling that Swift has. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't have him as my RB2. I have him as my RB3. Um, we we kind of have a tie at RB2. Um, I, can, I don't really have anything else to add on Swift. The receiving upside is really the appeal with him. And obviously, too, last year, his like touchdown opportunity and stuff, it pretty much came from all DeAndre Swift. When he wanted to score a touchdown, he had to do it himself for the most part. He had to break off a long run against Cleveland like he did. He had to, you know, make a number of guys miss or and, and something like that. He didn't get a lot of, you know, goal line opportunities. And not that I think this is going to be like an elite offense this year because it's still Jared Goff leading the way, but it should be improved with some of the additions that they've made. Jamison Williams, TJ Hawkinson, Swift, and uh, Amon Ra all in the field healthy together, hopefully. Um, so Swift, yeah, definitely a guy from a redraft and a dynasty perspective that we're a little higher on than uh, consensus. The other guy for me, especially in redraft leagues, I'm going to be way higher on this guy. And that's Javante Williams running back from the Denver Broncos currently going off the board as the RB three in dynasty startups, 13th overall player on keep trade cut, barely a, a second round pick there, RB 13, 25.9 on underdog. So about a third early third round pick in redraft leagues. The reason I love him so much in dynasty is, is pretty obvious. This guy's barely 22 years old showed to be a top eight back in the NFL in both elusiveness as a rookie and yards created per touch as a rookie. One of the biggest advantages in Dynasty and Redraft, in my opinion, that still exists, even though fantasy players nowadays are smarter than they've ever been, is buying into the reality that young running backs are the ticket to winning fantasy leagues. Because of that uncertainty avoidance factor that we talked about last year a lot with Jonathan Taylor, with DeAndre Swift, with Najee Harris, with Antonio Gibson to some degree, people have this inherent bias to favor the devil they know, to favor the Dalvin Cooks of the world, the Nick Chubbs of the world, Ezekiel Elliott's of the world because they've seen it before. But that would have led you away from drafting Jonathan Taylor last year, who was in our draft guide, my biggest league winning running back because of what I saw possible for Jonathan Taylor. DeAndre Swift, a guy that I had a ton of exposure to in drafts last year. Najee Harris, another guy that um, proves this point of drafting young running backs. Antonio Gibson saw a 15% increase in his opportunity share as a second year running back. And while he didn't hit the ceiling that we expected that he could have hit going into the season last year. Even he returned on value from where he was drafted. So as far as Melvin Gordon is concerned and how he's going to impact Javante Williams's workload, is it you know detrimental to Javante Williams that Melvin Gordon is there? Of course not. But is he going to impact his workload a little bit? Sure. But I do expect Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon to not be 50-50 splits this year. They were pretty much down the middle 50-50 uh, timeshare running backs last year. And I expect Javante Williams to take a, about a 15% increase in opportunity share, coupled with the fact that he now has Russell Wilson as his quarterback instead of Drew Locke. Yeah, no, and, and I'm glad you mentioned this. This is kind of, you know, the fantasy community having a sort of hive mind kind of mentality. They want to conform to that need of security. They would rather pass on, pass on upside 
to make sure, you know, they know what Dalvin Cook's going to give you. They know what Nick Chubb's going to give you. They know what these veteran running backs are going to give you. When in actuality, we should be drafting with range of outcome in our mind as opposed to modal outcome in our mind. Shout out Jacob Sanderson, FFRTBB on Twitter, actually tweeted this recently. But a lot of people are comfortable with drafting based off what the median outcome is. This guy's guaranteed this amount of work. This is about where he should finish. This is about the range where he should finish. When in actuality, we are trying to win our leagues. We are trying to draft players that can get that significant bump, that can accrue value uh, at a rate that typically a lot of people around them aren't going to be able to do. Javante Williams is the prime example. Again, this is more of like a redraft point because we're still talking about production. We're still talking about running backs. They're going to need to have some sort of production to keep their value. With Javante Williams going at the 2-3 turn, you're at a decision point where you take Javante Williams or you take Nick Chubb. We know what kind of Nick Chubb is. We know his his receiving share. We know what his overall volume count is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be a better offense if Deshaun is on the field, but we know what Nick Chubb is. We don't know what Javante Williams is, so we're seeing a lot of people taking the known commodity in Nick Chubb, when in actuality, we've seen Nick Chubb. Is he going to be a fine back in RB1? Sure. Javante Williams has a chance to be a top five running back that Nick Chubb just doesn't simply have. Right. Uh, Javante Williams finishes a, a top 22 running back in points per game last year with a 50-50 workload on the 23rd highest scoring offense in the league. This year, if the Broncos offense is a top 15 offense, which I think is a conservative projection, they could be a top five offense this league, uh, this year if Russell Wilson pans out the way that I think Russell Wilson can pan out. Even if Javante Williams barely goes up in opportunity, 55-60% opportunity share, which is natural for a, a running back going into his second season, this could be easily a guy that finishes a top 12 running back, let alone top five if he goes up a little bit more than we're initially anticipating. We saw towards the back half of the season, even with Melvin Gordon on the field, Javante Williams took over the receiving workload. Yeah, so we're, we're basically seeing a basis where he's got a pathing to be a top 12, maybe top eight type of running back given his efficiency, given this offense, given the potential receiving workload we can see this year. And we're combining that with the fact that this team didn't need to bring back Melvin Gordon, but they didn't really show any real insistence on wanting him back. It was kind of like, oh, Melvin Gordon's not getting a market. Sure, we'll bring him back, give another year. He's still a good player. I'm not going to dispute the fact that Melvin Gordon isn't efficient, isn't good at all at football. He's a good player. It's going to affect Javante Williams for this year for sure. But if we're still able to project a ceiling for Javante Williams this year, while inherently understanding that once Melvin Gordon is gone after the year, that Javante could potentially be the next 80% overall opportunity share back on one of the best offenses in the NFL. I'm more than willing to buy that at the two like mid to late two type of area in dynasty drafts. Honestly, even if he never becomes that, even if he's stuck in 60 to 70% opportunity share back for the rest of his career th with the offense set up the way it is, he can be a perennial top 10 running back because he can be efficient on the goal line. He can be efficient overall. He can break away long runs and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Melvin Gordon's going to affect him a little bit from a redraft perspective, but I'm honestly not that concerned because if fantasy football was as easy as saying who's going to get the most volume, then we would know exactly who the best running backs were every single year in fantasy. It's not that simple. If you sort by who had the highest opportunity share at running back, it does not equal the final finish of running back points per game. And speaking of that, I'm glad you just kind of you know transitioned that right away because the guy who did actually have that, who has that elite workload that people crave in fantasy football – Najee Harris, running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers, currently going off the board RB2, 11th overall via keep trade cut. He is going off the board as the RB5, 8.5 overall ADP on underdog fantasy. And you mentioned it. He's got an untouched workload in the NFL. 23.6 opportunities per game and 5.5 targets per game in his rookie season. 
401 opportunities in the 17 games he played. He is your classic workhorse. You know, the, the mid-2000s, we're used to seeing these guys get the ball 20, 25, 30 times a game. Najee Harris seems like a mid-2000s type of back. A Marshawn Lynch, an Adrian Peterson, going to touch the ball and ultimately be the reason why the Steelers win games. That is the type of archetype Najee Harris is. So in redraft, I am more than fine taking this guy in the mid-first round, given the opportunity that he has there. The problem that I have with Najee Harris as a dynasty asset is A, his current opportunity cost going in the first round of dynasty drafts. If I have a problem with taking Jonathan Taylor in the mid-first round, there's no shot I'm taking Najee Harris at the 11th overall pick ahead of guys like Trey Lance, Dak Prescott, Kyle Pitts, etc. in dynasty drafts there. So already I'm kind of against the idea of owning a Najee Harris. But I'm also, along with that, concerned about his age. 24 is not young, but people think because he's a second year back, he's, you know, 22, 20. He's like Javante. Javante you know, Williams, 20, 22 years old. 22, 23 years old. But he's actually over 24 years old now. He's about, by the time the season starts, going to be 24 and a half years old. Considering he came out last year, that is really, really weird. Heck, he's older than Corey, so you know he's pretty damn old. But uh, when you're talking about Najee Harris, yeah, I'm going to love him in redraft, but the opportunity cost of having him on your team in Dynasty is just way too steep for me to be able to pull the trigger on him. Again, if he was a mid-to-back-end, second-round Dynasty pick, go nuts. You want to put him in the Swift, Javante, the next guy we're going to talk about range? By all means. But the fact that he's going, again, almost a full half-round ahead of all those guys, I'm going to have him on no Dynasty teams. The tough thing for Najee Harris is, is drafting him. I have no problem trading for Najee Harris. If I'm in a win now contending window, I have a loaded team. I can afford to give up some value. Even if I can trade, you know, if I have a team that's set and built around elite quarterbacks, elite wide receivers, maybe one other elite running back and a good tight end. And I just want to add some elite production to my team. I have no problem trading for Najee Harris. The problem about drafting him is that you immediately put yourself in a win now contending window, which we always talk about not doing because he is a 24 and a half year old running back by the time the season starts. And you have to draft him pretty much at the end of the first round. You can't get him, you know, round three, round four by the time you know if you're going to compete or rebuild or not. So that's pretty much my problem with Najee Harris. I have him a little higher than you. I'm still, uh, you know, a little bit more bullish on him than you, but um, I'm still not, you know, comfortable drafting him over, like you said, Dak Prescott, Trey Lance types, even, you know, the other two running backs that we talked about already and uh, some of the other receivers too. So I like Najee Harris, the player, but let's contextualize this. We're going to talk about, you know, a couple of the win now running backs, by the way, Najee Harris soon enough is going to be in that win now running back bucket, which is just gross to think about considering he was drafted not even two years ago at this point. He is a half year younger than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley goes in that four or five area of drafts. If I have the choice between taking Najee Harris on the one, two turn or Saquon Barkley at the four or five turn, my answer is 100 times out of 100 going to be Saquon Barkley. When you're in your dynasty drafts, again, Corey said, maintain flexibility, but also keep opportunity cost at mind. If you like a player, apples to apples, you prefer Najee Harris over Saquon Barkley, cool. But would you rather have Jamar Chase and Saquon Barkley, or would you rather have Najee Harris and, I don't know, Drake what's London. Drake London or Traylon Burks? It's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, the other underrated thing, the next guy that we're going to talk about, we can just transition to him right now, is three, over three years younger than, than Najee Harris. And you get him around relatively the same area of the draft that you're getting Najee Harris. That's Brees Hall, running back for the New York Jets, currently going off the board as the running back five in keep trade cut, 19th overall player. So again, like a mid to late second round pick. RB 18, 47.6 overall on underdog fantasy. Um, 
I'll let you just take it away with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty simple to me. He kind of meets all the requirements that we look for in a running back prospect. He's got the production profile. He's got the athleticism. He's got the the the, the proof of his receiving. He's He was a productive receiver in college over at Iowa State. And his autonomy on the goal line in college, his propensity to be able to score touchdowns, shows that Hall has all the makings to be that next perennial top five type of fantasy back. The reason that I, you know, Danny, personally have him ranked above Najee Harris is quite simple. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to be going to going to be 25 going into drafts next year versus a guy that's going to be 21 and a half. With Brees Hall, you're still getting top five upside. You're still getting a potential workhorse role and an ascending offense. I believe that the Jets will be. And he has all the makings to realistically maintain value. For three years by the time that Najee Harris has already lost value. Yeah, I think one of the underreported narratives of Brees Hall, right? Because we know the 49ers scheme, right? It, it makes running backs play really well, right? Yes. Like we see Raheem Mostert, journeyman type of running backs look like elite running backs in the NFL. When was the last time we saw an actual elite running back play in one of those systems? Like this could be scary with Brees Hall. This could be a dude that is, you know, bar none the RB1 in Dynasty this time next year. Even if he gets out to a bit of a slow start because he's a rookie running back. And he only has like a 60% opportunity share. We could see, you know, Javante Williams times 10 uh, this time next year. And if that happens, I mean, he's going to be, like you said, 21.8 years old this time next year. He's going to uh, definitely increase in value. And it's going to be probably a two horse race between him and B. John Robinson for the RB1 next year. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because people might reply, well, he's in the Niner system. They rotate running backs, yada, yada, yada. The as I kind of talked about in the rookie rankings video, the Jets have already went out and said this was a top 20 player on their board. They tried to trade to the back of the first round, actually, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when you guys moved down for Logan Hall. They ended up still moving up to jump the Houston Texans to make sure that Brees Hall was wearing that jet green. We know that Brees Hall was a coveted player for them, fits their scheme tremendously, and can contribute on all three downs. Yes. Is there downside risk? Is there volatility? Because we haven't seen it yet. Sure. But as Corey said, we bet on appreciation. If Brees Hall hits, if Brees Hall is a top five running back this year, he is going where Najee Harris is right now, except you're getting two years of youth on your side. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we can move off of Brees Hall. I think the case is pretty simple for him. Now let's get into what I would call like the, the injury landmine territory of foundational running backs. This tier is not for the faint of heart because these guys are all coming off of major injuries. RB6 foundational running back is J.K. Dobbins. I believe he is your RB7, my RB6. RB13 overall on keep trade cut, 46th overall player. So the guy that you're probably spending a fourth round pick on, RB21, 56th overall on underdog, another guy that you're, you know, fourth, fifth round pick in redraft leagues. The next few guys that we talk about, like I said, they all have a major injury concern. The encouraging thing about Dobbins injury concern is number one, that he suffered it in the preseason. So he's had a full year of recovery. He had his surgery on September 7th, I believe. So he's had a full year of recovery from the time he'll actually have to play games. Number two, he's only 23 years old. So he has a number of, um, you know, things in his favor. When we compare him to a guy like Saquon Barkley last year, who obviously saw the big time drawbacks of being your first year off of an ACL tear, Saquon Barkley didn't have his surgery until nearly November uh, of 2020. So he was coming off of, you know, two, two and a half months or whatever of uh, less time than J.K. Dobbins will be coming off of uh, with a year and a half extra older. So the saving grace for all these guys that we're going to talk about is that all three of these guys were great prospects. And for Dobbins and Akers, 
they had productive rookie seasons. For J.K. Dobbins, he's the lead dog for an excellent offense that will probably ensure that he has five-plus yards per carry minimum in this offense, given what we saw from him as a rookie and what we know about Ravens running backs in general. And he should have plenty of goal line opportunities. While Lamar Jackson is heavily involved in the ground game in Baltimore, they don't typically use him a ton on the goal line for how much of a mobile quarterback he is. They typically stick to their running backs in that area of the field. And the threat of Lamar Jackson tucking it, pulling it on a read option and running makes these running backs very successful. J.K. Dobbins had the highest success rate of any running back on the goal line his rookie season. As long as he's healthy and up to speed, which is a big if because it's the first year off the ACL tear narrative, he will be a 65 to 70% opportunity share running back. I won't go too in-depth with J.K. Dobbins because I made an entire video on him. If you guys want to go check it out, it was called like the number uh, number one running back buy in Dynasty right now, and I went really in-depth on J.K. Dobbins, but he is a dude that I'm very willing to invest in in the fourth round of, of my Dynasty startup drafts because I can start the draft with you know an elite quarterback or two and you know a wide receiver or two and then once I get to round four, I'm ready to take my first running back in J.K. Dobbins, and I typically swing back around in round five and grab one of these other guys. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you did say it. we're going to have Doctor Edwin on to kind of talk about a few of these, you know, injured young backs and whether he believes that they're going to be fully ready. But the one caveat I have for J.K. Dobbins, and in terms of the people that are talking about that ACL injury, is the fact that you mentioned it. He had it happen to him in the preseason. We all kind of know at this point, you know, first year off the ACL running backs, you know, they typically struggle in their first year back, but that's usually when the year before they tear their ACL in the middle of the season. J.K. Dobbins will inherently, let's just say, you know, an average running back probably tears their ACL about week seven, week eight, let's just say hypothetically. J.K. Dobbins would have already 10 weeks of recovery ahead of that timeline that many of those other running backs have. And the majority of those injuries typically happen due to compensation. Obviously, we remember with Dalvin Cook, he's battling, you know, lower leg injury or hamstring issues after he tore his ACL. That's typically overcompensation injuries. Your knee isn't fully inhibited, isn't fully ready to come back. So your other body parts will typically overcompensate due to the fact that it inherently knows, your body inherently knows that that portion of your body is not fully 100%. With J.K. Dobbins, he will have way more time for recovery, way more time for his body to get better, to get ready um, than typically a lot of these other running backs. So I think that's the one caveat that people are kind of underestimating. Again, Edwin's going to know a lot more about that than I will, but that's just kind of you know my one input I wanted to add there. Yeah, 11 months before he even has to do anything in training yeah. camp. But that's a long time. Like Saquon Barkley, 11 months after his ACL tear, was like in week three of the season. There's a reason why Saquon Barkley had, you know, compensation injuries, hamstring injuries, ankle injuries, stuff like that, because he was being rushed. And we didn't see it. the other thing, too, is when it comes to like redraft, J.K. Dobbins, if he's not on the field for training camp, not on the field for um, you know, mini camps and uh, preseason games. And we're, we're like, oh, well, maybe he'll be ready for week one. He's going to be off my board in redraft leagues. As much as I love J.K. Dobbins, that is a bad sign. I'm expecting him to be full go in training camp, full go in the preseason, full go week one. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to have to adjust my ranks a little bit. But as it stands right now, I expect him to be back for all that stuff. And I'll add, you know, one other very, very important figure for the majority of the running back position as a whole. And I mean, you can group in vet receivers, vet quarterbacks, vet tight ends, specifically, you know, vet, vet receivers and tight ends. But if you want to make a veteran or a running back acquisition, I encourage you guys do it as close to the season as possible. When all those unknowns, when all those variables aren't at effect, if you go to buy a JK Dobbins right now, if you go to buy a Derrick Henry right now, there is still 
risk in case anything happens in the preseason, in case another injury happens, in case all of that volatility kind of happens. Whereas like, you know, if you have to pay 110% premium to do it right before the season, you're already a contender. You're already willing to give up a little bit of value to contend. I'm more than fine with paying a little bit of premium once all those variables, once all those unknowns are kind of unfolded in front of me. Right. And that might lead you to not draft JK Dobbins, but trade for him later. So um, before we spend too much time in this video, I'll let you get on to the next guy here, Travis yeah. Etienne, obviously another guy who suffered a preseason injury as well. For sure. And again, we'll, we'll keep the rest of it uh, relatively brief. Don't want to keep you guys for too long, but for Etienne, it's kind of simple to me. I kind of have them uh, leading this group of the injured young running backs at Etienne Dobbins acres in that order for me. But with Travis Etienne, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think we can say pretty confidently that Etienne Dobbins acres are all relatively similar prospect here. We're, they're all, they're all pretty much relatively I'd similar. And ETN was the best prospect out of them. Yeah. So, I mean, like relatively their talent is all kind of on the same playing field, except for me personally, the reason why I do do favor ETN to Adams and acres is that inherent receiving ability that he possesses. I feel like given his prospect profile, given his receiving production, given his efficiency in the receiving game, maybe he develops into that Deandre Swift type of archetype. He, out of all this group, Akers, ETN, and Dobbins, is the only real one that has a 100-plus target ceiling. I do believe, again, is it lofty to expect ETN to get 100 targets? For sure, but if we're projecting ceiling, if we're projecting, projecting that ability to increase in value, ETN has the archetype to be able to be a second-round redraft pick by this time next year because of that receiving profile. Yeah, a guy that had an 87th percentile college target share reunited with the quarterback who fed him all those targets is definitely going to uh, probably be pretty productive as a receiver. And also, too, from a redraft perspective, this is a guy that we probably expect to be the main running back um, with James Robinson coming off of a late-season Achilles tear. It's not the same situation of Cam Akers' Achilles tear, which I can honestly just transition into right now. Cam Akers running back eight in our foundational rankings, RB17 off the board in uh, keep trade cut right now, 73rd overall pick. This is why I don't like taking running backs early uh, because I can build out that flexibility and get a guy like Cam Akers in round five, round six of a dynasty startup draft. Uh, currently going off the board, RB 17, 41.7 overall on underdog fantasy. Again, he has a huge injury caveat. The Achilles tear is very scary. We're going to have Edwin on next week to talk about these guys from an injury perspective. But aside from the injury concern, which is somewhat mitigated for me, by the fact that he came back for the NFL playoffs last year, the bull case for Cam Akers is touchdown upside. In this offense, they run the ball in the red zone prior to this year when Cam Akers was injured. Again, we talked about it with the quarterback rankings video, but maybe that was because they trust Matt Stafford more than they trust Jared Goff. But even in Jared Goff's heyday, they still trusted Todd Gurley in the red zone. An offense that notoriously feeds their main back in general, let alone on the goal line. I think Cam Akers has the ability to be a 250 carry, 15 plus rushing rushing touchdown back this year. And before Cam Akers fumbled the game away in, in the Bucks playoff game, he had an 84% snap share and 27 touches six months after an Achilles tear, which is insane. I don't really care that he didn't look good. That doesn't matter to me. He was six months off of an Achilles tear. The fact that he came back and got a full workload immediately speaks volumes about Cam Akers. Yeah, I agree. And again, this is another one that if once we talk to Edwin, we'll, we'll have more clarification on because he is a volatile asset. Again, I'm not advocating for going out and acquiring and paying for a guy like Cam Akers now in case of the downside risk. You don't need to give up your value at this point in the offseason because, again, if you're buying running backs, you're buying them for that point production. Running backs, any other position period in fantasy football, do not score points in June. So 
you know, if, if people are still uncertain about Cam Akers, except, you know, we at the Fantasy Sox Exchange know more about his injury situation, talking with fantasy doctors like Edwin right before the season starts. And he still, you know, maybe slightly increases in value with more information available. I'm more than fine buying him then. Because, again, I do think he's a talented running back. He's insulated into one of the best running or offenses in the entire NFL with the Rams. And as you kind of mentioned, he has inherent scoring opportunity in a Matthew Stafford-led Super Bowl-winning Rams offense. An offense that last time he was on the field fed him workhorse volume too, yes. which is and and also a history of being a workhorse going back to his college days too. So the reason I'm still I'm still in on Cam Akers, unless Edwin tells me like you should not be in on Cam Akers from a health perspective, is because we saw him come back already. Yes, he wasn't that effective, but it was six months after an Achilles tear. He has twelve full months to recover before he even has to play a preseason game, let alone an NFL game, because he got injured in July last year. And this is a guy like you said tethered to a great offense that uses their running backs in the red zone, uses their running back when they trust one as a workhorse. So um, Cam Akers, a guy that I'm still very much in on. If you don't want to buy him right now, if you don't want to draft him right now, because you're worried about the risk, wait until July, wait until August to pull the trigger. But I think his price is going to go up a lot. By the time we get to the season, we're going to hear a lot of puff pieces about Cam Akers being a workhorse this July, I think. Yep. No, fully makes sense. Let's transition to the next player. That's going to be Kenneth Walker running back from the Seattle Seahawks currently going off the board as the RB 12 45th overall pick via keep trade cut. Also as the RB 28 87th overall pick on underdog fantasy as a rookie running back. And, uh, you know, we're not the biggest fans of Kenneth Walker in fantasy. Again, I think he's a very talented player. I think he's a very, very talented running back, but he is very comparable in my opinion to JK Dobbins in terms of his rushing ability well, again, I think Dobbins probably has a little bit of a higher receiving output. We kind of talked off camera, but although I think Kenneth Walker can maybe in an NFL situation be a plus level receiver, maybe get a plus level target share eventually, projecting that based off his college profile is very, very optimistic. Again, maybe he's a Nick Chubb. Maybe he's a J.K. Dobbins from his rookie year where he's a super efficient rusher, but realistically isn't winning you a lot of weeks in fantasy. If you want to take this guy in, you know, the four or five area of your startup drafts, I'm comfortable with that. I think that's about appropriate value for him. The problem I have is that in the majority of your rookie drafts, because of running back buys, because of the the people seeing Brees Hall going one overall, wanting to get Kenneth Walker, thinking of the drop off at running back after Kenneth Walker, people are taking him above guys like Drake London, above guys like Traylon Burks, above guys like Garrett Wilson. I cannot get there. I cannot take a limited running back prospect without that receiving profile over guys I can think or I think can be bonafide number one type of wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. And I think the difference too with outlining what Kenneth Walker can do similar to Dobbins and Chubb is that Kenneth Walker is going to play for a bad offense this year as well. Um, The Seattle Seahawks, I don't think it'd shock any of us if they're a bottom five offense in the NFL. But what I do think Kenneth Walker is great for is a one-year rebuild because I don't think he's going to have an uber, uber productive rookie season. But what he is probably going to show is like what Javante Williams showed as a rookie, where this time next year, would it shock me if Kenneth Walker is a top six, top eight dynasty running back just based on optimism from his rookie year, the offense maybe getting a little bit better if the Seahawks draft a quarterback or something like that wouldn't shock me one bit. So Kenneth Walker, probably a good rebuilding type of running back to invest in. He's still very young, obviously 21 years old. So um, what what else you got? on Caveat, I'm going to add, you don't rebuild around running backs. I would say you, a one year. I would say you don't rebuild around running backs, but when it's yeah. round five and you already have four rebuilding wide receivers and quarterbacks, then I'm okay taking a shot on Kenneth Walker. I would say if you're in a one year productive struggle would be the better way to term it. 
uh, determine it because if you're in a full, full rebuild, none of these guys should be on your roster for the most part. But either way, appreciate that. Just have to interject because, you know, you got my thoughts on running backs. Let's transition to you are a contender. You are ready to win. You need that asset that while you probably can't project them to have a long, long shelf life, can give you immediate elite production uh, this year and maybe next year as well. We're talking those 25-plus-year-old contending running backs, and there's no other way to start off contending, volatile, risky running back that when he's on the field can legitimately win you leagues on his own than Christian freaking McCaffrey. Take it away with Christian McCaffrey here. Yeah, we don't usually say nice things about running backs in this tier because they pigeonhole <laughs> you into competing. And I mean, their shelf life is usually ticking uh, as well. Usually you get one to three years max out of these running backs. But I mean, if you're going to get one to three years max, you want one to three years max out of Christian McCaffrey. Running back six, currently in keep trade cuts, 20 uh, second overall pick. So you got to draft this guy still in the second round. RB2, third overall and underdog, obviously from a redraft perspective, he's definitely worth that pick. It's really hard to hit the draft button on Christian McCaffrey in a dynasty startup. Like it, it's a, it's very, very difficult to hit draft on Christian McCaffrey because of the cost that you're paying, knowing that you're immediately number one in a contending window once you do that. And number two, knowing his injury history. Once you do hit draft on Christian McCaffrey, you have to try and win. 26-year-old running back who has 25-plus PPR point per game output as a very normal projection, not even a ceiling. That's like his median range of outcomes when he's on the field. About three points better than what Jonathan Taylor was last year, assuming he stays on the field. So if you're a rebuilding team, you do not want that production on your team. You have to contend if you have Christian McCaffrey. And I would say you're probably better off for all of these contending running backs and not drafting them and trading for them after the startup if you deem that you're a contender. Because in the startup, they'll be worth more than they are post-startup when you can trade younger pieces for them. Sneaky upgrade on the offensive line for Christian McCaffrey this year as well, with Iki Aquano being their first-round pick in the top six. You have to rid your mind, though, of the Christian McCaffrey narrative because everybody, and we'll talk about it with the next guy too, everybody's going to be focused on the fact that they got burned by Christian McCaffrey last year in their Dynasty League, in their redraft leagues. It's running back. Shit happens. CMC has zero history of major injury. It's ticky-tack bullshit that kept him out last year. Hamstrings, ankles, all that stuff that is not predictive year over year. Supposedly, he's been working with and consulting Marshall Falk to better take care of his body. He's probably sick of jackasses like us talking about how he can't stay healthy. Two of the biggest fantasy league winners this past year, Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon, had the same narrative going into last year that Christian McCaffrey has now. They can't stay healthy. They, they get hamstring injuries. They can't hold up to a full workload. All the stuff that realistically, and we said it about Joe Mixon, shouldn't have been being said. Running backs get injured. If you don't like it, draft a wide receiver. When he's on the field, he's an advantage at the position unlike any in fantasy. In the four games that he played a full allotment of snaps last year before without leaving early, 27.7, 24.7, 26.1, 24.9 were his point outputs in PPR with only one fucking touchdown over those four games. So all this guy needs is receiving work he doesn't even need touchdowns to be good in fantasy no running back can say that it's ridiculous when you actually realize just how much of an advantage christian mccaffrey is when christian mccaffrey is healthy he is a legitimate 28 to 30 type of ppr point per game score for reference when he's healthy he's legitimately 1.3 times more valuable than any single other running back any single really realistically other player in fantasy football the big risk the big volatility point with McCaffrey has been the health of recent years but as we know running backs are fragile we expect running backs to face more inherent risk to injury than any other receiver or 
any other position, period, in fantasy football. All I know is that when McCaffrey's healthy, when I can rely upon McCaffrey to enter my lineup, he has the ability to win me weeks on his own. As much as I love Jonathan Taylor, as much as I love, you know, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, all those other running backs, none of them hold a candle to Christian McCaffrey at full health. No other running back period can say that they can put up 24 PPR points without scoring a fucking touchdown. That is insane. Yeah, it's insane. And speaking of, we can just transition into the next guy because, I mean, if a running back could hold a candle to Christian McCaffrey, this is probably the next closest guy. Uh, Saquon Barkley, running back from the New York Giants, running back 15 off the board in keep trade cut, 53rd overall. So another guy that you can get in the fourth, fifth round area, RB 14, 27th overall on underdog, which is also an absolute smash value, getting him in the third round of a redraft league. So I'll let you take it away with Barkley. Yeah, and I mean, it's simple to me. You guys are going to hear, you know, more of a, a breakdown of these guys from a redraft perspective. Because, t- I mean, typically, you know, if you're getting a contending running back, you want to hear the redraft case. So we'll get more into it when we do our top 12 redraft rankings in the oncoming weeks. But I'll just say it right now. There was a, a recent tweet. You guys will see it uh, on the screen. But a recent tweet that was basically in redraft, who are you taking? And it was like Taquan Barkley, Aaron Jones, and a couple other names. And Aaron Jones was actually leading the poll over Saquon Barkley, which caused me to quote tweet it with, you know, a little bit of a chuckle. But Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones ways to disappoint from a a return on investment standpoint, his age, his touch workload, injury risk, less scoring opportunity from losing a top three to five receiver in the NFL period, arguably the number one receiver in the NFL period. Saquon Barkley's risk of not returning on investment is quite literally only injury. Running backs are fragile, and we need to take the best player available with elite touch workloads. Saquon Barkley represents exactly that. When he's been on the field, when he's been healthy, when he's been playing football throughout his career, he averaged 23.9 opportunities per game in his rookie year in 2018, 22.3 opportunities per game in his uh, second year in 2019. He basically missed all of 2020 for the most part with an ACL injury. It happened in week two. And in his first year off the ACL, battling ankle, hamstring, battling lower body injuries throughout this past season, was still able to average 16.9 opportunities per game, despite getting off to that slow start when the coaching staff wanted to ease him in. Now we're getting a full healthy offseason of Saquon Barkley, who now gets to play in the best offense he's been in in his career up to this point, with the addition of Brian Dable as head coach, with the addition of Evan Neal, arguably the top tackle in the NFL draft, adding to this offense this year. So he's in the best offense of his career, Still possesses an elite workload and is still an elite level talent. And yet we're fading him into round three in redraft. Barkley has the opportunity to break fantasy football still. And you're able to scoop him in the third round due to fantasy players inherent. He burned me before. I don't want him again type of bias. You're telling me right now, if you're at the second overall pick, you can start your draft with Christian McCaffrey, a a solid receiver. Let's just, just say, you know, an AJ Brown or a Mike Evans or a T Higgins type round two, and then get Saquon Barkley on the wraparound, congrats on winning your new league. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. From a redraft perspective, I'm going to be you know all the way in on Saquon Barkley. This is the healthiest he's been in a couple of years, right? He has the inherent risk that he could blow his hamstring or his you know ankle or whatever, but he has the same amount of risk in those areas. Now a year off of the uh, torn ACL or two years removed from the torn ACL than any other running back in the league. So it's not really a, a deterring point. We can't you know take injury risk into account for one running back 
and not others, unless it's a, a, a significant injury like Cam Akers, like J.K. Dobbins, or like Travis Etienne. When it's, you know, just ticky-tack stuff like Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, now two years removed from the ACL, it really shouldn't factor into our analysis at all, aside from deciding between running backs and wide receivers. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and Saquon Barkley, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm a running back hater, and I don't like contending running backs in Dynasty. This is a guy that I have above consensus. So for me to say that I have him above consensus in Dynasty, you got to be knowing that his redraft outlook is special. So off of Saquon Barkley, let's talk about a running back that had a special uh, 2021 season, especially in the receiving game, especially insulated to a top offense in the league. I'll let you take it away with Austin Eckler. Yeah, and Austin Eckler was a victim of this narrative two years ago where we didn't know could he handle a full workload. He had a hamstring injury in 2020 that limited him, and people faded him for that reason, the same reason they're fading Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. Currently going off the board is the RB10, 40th overall on keep trade cuts, so a guy that you have to spend pretty much a third-round pick on in a dynasty startup. RB3, 7th overall on underdog fantasy. There's a pretty easy argument here from a dynasty perspective. Yeah, he's an older running back. You don't want to invest in a guy that's 27 years old. We typically like our running backs younger, but this is a top three redraft back this year. He's tied to Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense for however long he continues to be on that team. And plus, from a, a total touches standpoint, opportunity uh, that he's seen thus far in his career to determine when he's going to like break down and stop being efficient. He's only seen 889 total touches in his career with only about 600 of those being carries. So this is not a guy that is, you know, 1300 rushing attempts over the limit of, you know, some guy that we don't want to draft in dynasty, like, you know, Nick Chubb, for example, or Ezekiel Elliott or Joe Mixon or Dalvin cook. Yeah, no, uh, with Austin Eckler, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You're getting a extremely efficient player tied to a Justin Herbert led offense who was coming off a season where he did in fact have that return on investment on the goal line. He was used in those goal line areas. He was used in the, you know, the inside the five, inside the 10 red zone type of situations that a lot of people coming into the season hadn't seen that from be, uh, from him before. Now that we have that on our mind, now that we have that he can indeed handle that full workload, the fact that people are using Isaiah Spiller, a fourth-round running back, as leverage against Austin Eckler. Listen, we loved Isaiah Spiller, the prospect. We thought Isaiah Spiller was a fine player. We thought Isaiah Spiller was more than capable of being a top 100 NFL draft pick. But if you're letting fourth-round investment Isaiah Spiller deter you off of Austin Eckler, especially in redraft, and in Dynasty, I understand it because Austin Eckler is an older player. Maybe you don't want to fit that type of archetype and hamstring yourself to a win-now build. I understand that. But if we're just talking about him from a straight production this year standpoint, do not worry about Austin Eckler. He's going to be a top five back for us, and he should be realistically a top five back across the industry. Yeah, I don't really need to add anything else. So um, if you guys enjoyed this video, as always, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Like I said, this was our top 12 dynasty running back rankings. We did this in bucketed rankings fashion with our nine foundational running backs that make up our top 12 and our three contending running backs that make up our top 12. If you guys were curious of where these guys fit in and how they fit in amongst each other, Christian McCaffrey is our consensus RB6 in Dynasty. Saquon Barkley, I believe, is our consensus RB10 in Dynasty, RB8. Yeah, RB8 uh, yeah, in Dynasty, and then Austin Eckler is our consensus RB11 in Dynasty, and then those foundational guys mix their way in throughout the rest of it. And if you want all of our Dynasty rankings, running backs, wide receivers, tight end, quarterback, bucketed rankings, you know, rookie rankings, super flex, 200 uh one quarterback top 200 all of that is available in our dynasty rankings manifesto and you can get it one of two ways like i said at the beginning of the video either on patreon patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange 
or signing up and depositing using our uh, main sponsors promo code FSE on underdogfantasy.com. Get a lot of practice in for your redraft leagues, a lot of chances at a lot of money in Best Ball Mania 3 and Puppy Drafts, and you can get 100% back on whatever you put in when you use the promo code FSE, plus getting our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto as a free gift. So that interests you, all the links down below in the description. But without further ado, peace out. Talk to you soon.